NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio, for the way we live now. Thanks for joining us here at Napa Broadcasting and our continuing conversations with filmmakers that are bringing films to this year's Napa Valley Film Festival. You know, often it's the role of documentaries to try and bring the past into focus through the recollections of the present, to interpret through the lens of history as if looking through the wrong end of a telescope. Sometimes, though, what's really best is to let the facts and the history speak for itself. In so doing, we often become immersed in the context of that history, and then each of us, in our own minds and through our own personal experience, can bear witness in our own way. That's what my guests, documentary filmmakers T.J. Martin and Daniel Lindsay, have done with their documentary feature film, L.A. 92. The film will be a very special addition to this year's Napa Valley Film Festival, and it is my pleasure to welcome T.J. Martin and Daniel Lindsay here to talk about L.A. 92. T.J., Daniel, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. It's great to have you. Uh, First of all, T.J., let me start with you. Talk a little bit about the origins of this film and how you guys came together and and a little bit about how it got made, first of all. Uh, Yeah, so the production company uh, Lightbox had uh, known about the 25th year anniversary of the uh, civil unrest um, and they thought that, uh, you know, it might be a good time to kind of dive into it uh, and, and make a film about it. So they had uh, they'd kind of put together, done some of their, their own research, put together a sizzle reel. And this is the production company's Lightbox, which is uh, uh, two cousins, Simon Chin and Jonathan Chin. Uh, they put together a sizzle reel and already had sold through the idea to National Geographic and then went to seek directors to kind of helm the project. And uh, they came to us with this sizzle, um, which had a lot of um, just all archival footage and some music behind it. And uh, Dan and I quickly realized that um, after watching it, there's, there was more material out there than we had initially even thought in terms of what was captured via, via through citizen journalism or uh, that was actually broadcasted. So we came back to them and... Um, you know, there were some really powerful moments and we kind of said, you know, our approach would be if we were to do this is to kind of preserve the integrity of the power and the emotion within the existing footage and not to dilute it with a lot of interviews. So if we're going to do this, let's just do it not archive heavy, but rather archive only no interviews whatsoever. And uh, they decided to go. They were game for that direction. And we, we approached the network National Geographic with that and they were game as well. And from there, we set off, um, you know, first collecting probably two, three hundred hours of footage and kind of sifting through that. And ultimately, over the course of nine months of editing, we ended up with 2000 hours of footage and created the film um, only using archival uh, and kind of, you know, the hope was that you can create a narrative driven film, but it's also uh, lives a little bit more in the space of the cinematic arts where, um you know, the experience of watching film is immersive. Um, it almost feels like a verite film where things fall and unfold in front of you. But also, uh, as a result, you're exploring um, themes uh, and, and deeper meanings behind these issues and not just like this isolated event, but rather what does this film mean for uh, America as a whole? Were there concerns, Daniel, that in making that decision as early on as you did to tell this story only with the archival footage, that there might be elements of the story or there might be elements of the narrative that might not be able to be covered fully by virtue of the footage? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that was a concern, and I think, you know, in some ways that concern bore out, but, um, but you know, not in a way that we felt uncomfortable mm-hmm. with. I think it, it kind of been going into it, we knew there would be, um, you know, things that came out, came of light afterwards um, that, that, you know, would be able to deliver perhaps more context. But again, our, our goal kind of going in was to put the audience in the moment and have them wrestle with history in real time. Um, you know, there's a, uh, for us, it was, there's a kind of fear that when you have uh, people speaking about something in retrospect, it, it takes the immediacy away and it, it, it in some ways, creates a distance to the audience where, well, this was something that happened and it can't happen again. Whereas if you are immersed in the experience and you're making these connections to what happened 25 years ago to what is happening today, uh, it, it just makes the history feel that much more real. So in some ways it was a risk we were willing to take. Um, but there was, you know, there was definitely, uh, uh, frustrations and that we'd have some footage and, you know, it was an incredible moment, but we just didn't have the proper amount of context um, to set that moment up. And, you know, that was another thing for us was constantly straddling a line. We never wanted to make something that felt exploitative. Um, and, you know, I think that's up to a, a viewer to decide, uh, you know, we feel comfortable with what we made. But, um, but yeah, that was it was an ongoing conversation throughout right. the process. And DJ, talk a little bit about telling this story of of the unrest that took place in in ninety two, and bookending it with the reports and the the footage that you used from the nineteen sixty five Watts riots. Yeah, the um, <clears throat> so the film. I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm really giving anything away here, but the film does open with the sixty five Watts uh, rebellion. And, you know, the idea was to fully set the context for um, kind of the foundation of, of the city and the foundation of the material that we were going to explore. Um, and then I think the intent from the jump was, you know, even just the way we work, generally speaking, is we kind of operate through um, through themes. You know, every time we make a film, we want to make sure that it's not just an experience, a narrative experience, but you the takeaway is, the hope is that you, after leaving the theater, you're still wrestling with ideas and that conversation continues outside of the theater. So in this case, one of the themes just from research um, alone and, and just having being privy to American history was the idea that these, these types of events um, are cyclical. And so that, that was kind of something that we knew going into it that we wanted to kind of explore, hence starting the film with uh, – the, uh, with the Watts Rebellion in 65, and then coming close to the end, which where the film gets really editorial, it's probably the most editorial we get, where you do start to kind of intercut between uh, varying events, specifically 92 and 65, to kind of drive home the point that, uh, you know, if, if we can, if, if, if these, if what happened in Watts and what happened in, in um South LA is uh, uh, in 92 kind of, if those events have such similar parallels, then you can, you yourself can kind of assign those parallels to what's happening in today. Mm-hmm. And so we, it was a weird balance between not over editorializing it and not, you know, at one point we included a lot of footage from um, kind of contemporary footage from, you know, uh, uh, civil unrest in 
Baltimore and, uh, mm-hmm. um, and New York and the, uh, and it was just almost too obvious. I mean, we wanted to make sure that, uh, we didn't, uh, we wanted the audience to participate in the material and actually build their own rapport with, with the film and kind of, again, keep them engaged in a way, um, so that the conversation continues outside of the theater. And Daniel, talk a little bit about the editorial decisions that you made, and, and, and TJ made reference to a few of these, decisions you made about what you would editorialize about and not, and particularly it must have been difficult with respect to the LAPD itself, yeah. which is this ongoing theme that, that is certainly part of mm-hmm. what happened in 92 and, and, and arguably what happened in, in 65. Yeah, I think I mean, we tried our best to um, to represent different points of view. So, you know, whether it's um, Timothy Goldman, who was a citizen in South LA who had a video camera who went down to Florence and Normandy, which is, is considered the kind of flashpoint of, of the unrest, Um, uh, you know, following his point of view with his camera to the news helicopters to, you know, there's a fair bit of, of um, camera work from the Los Angeles police department themselves. Um, And, you know, we, we did our, uh, you know, a, a lot of research um, is, um, and uh, you can't, I don't think you can help as a filmmaker, but kind of come to some conclusions. Um, and and I'm sure those conclusions come out in some ways in the film, but, um, you know, throughout the experience of the story, we tried our best to lay everything out in a way that, um, you know, people could wrestle with that themselves. And then as TJ points out it's not until the end that uh, where we do become where there is a very strong editorializing moment where we kind of put these connections together and and kind of make i guess one statement but um but no i mean you know there's there was a lot of those decisions are made in every edit um in every scene and in every sequence um you know trying our best to make sure that we are being even-handed, but but also being true to um, to our point of view as as filmmakers as well. Was it an editorial decision, TJ, to include the footage with respect to Latasha Harlings? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Through our research, um, you know, many people will say that she was probably the more critical. That case in particular was more. Uh, was a, played a, a, a bigger variable than people like to give credit to in terms of how things unfolded the way they did as it relates to, uh, you know, the whole city kind of the civil unrest that occurred, but also the whole city kind of the ripple effect it had into the whole city. So um, that was a big part of absolute. I mean, for two reasons. One, I think it's a, it's a part of history that um, uh, that I think goes untold. Um, and as I mentioned, like in, in research, we discovered that that was for many people, that's, that was one of the many, one of the major variables for the catalyst of the unrest. And then two, um, it honestly, it fit from a storytelling standpoint, it fit thematically. Um, it was just another incident caught on tape, uh, and then another severely unjust, uh, with severely unjust circumstances, um, that was just more hard evidence as to what, um, many in South LA, the community of South LA had been, you know, complaining, preaching, uh, fighting about, uh, for, for, for years. 
The other aspect that is so remarkable with respect to process is how much, and, and you alluded to this at the beginning, how much footage there was. This was 1992. It was before the iPhone, before everybody had a camera, and yet there was so much footage. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that that has kind of, you know, was another reason that we were drawn to to kind of revisit this moment in time as it does coincide with, um, while not everybody had a camera on their cell phone, it, you know, there was, uh, a growing number of people that had VHS, like, um, camcorders, uh, that become very popular throughout the late eighties and early nineties. And, uh, you know, that story coincides with, with George holiday being awoken, um, uh, on March 3rd in 1991 in his, in his apartment, uh, hearing the sounds of police pulling somebody over and he grabs his camera just to record just cause he bought a camera and he thought, well, here's something happening. I'm going to record it. Not because the police were actively beating Rodney King. That hadn't happened yet. He just thought I'm going to record something. And unbeknownst to him, he recorded, you know, what would become one of the most, uh, important pieces of, of citizen journalism, uh, in the history of America, perhaps. Um, and so we really wanted to <clears throat> dive into that, lean into that idea. And, um, you know, that was work, a lot of work to go find people that had pulled out their cameras and filmed some of this stuff. And then also find the, you know, um, what are referred to as stringers, uh, you know, people that will go out and shoot, uh, footage for news and, and sell their footage. Um, you know, it was a, it was a very painstaking process of, of, uh, pulling together all of this, uh, all of this footage. But, um, but, you know, uh, for us, it was important that we have the camera on the ground. Cause I think for a lot of people, their memories of watching this was from a helicopter. Um, right. you know, a lot of helicopter live reports, uh, that happened during the broadcast, but we really wanted to be on the ground, um, and experience it that way. It really was remarkable TJ, how much helicopter action there was, how much helicopter footage <laughs> there was. Yeah, I mean, there's a. Uh, there, I mean, look, the film runs about 114 minutes, and we had to sift through 2,000 hours of footage. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of helicopter footage. There's also just a tremendous amount of. Um, I mean, we were fortunate enough to get, uh, you know, broadcast tapes that were never actually aired. Um, so there's a lot of just kind of B-roll that. Um, that I think in some eyes may be inconsequential, but to us, it was uh, by having that pool of material to choose from, we recognized that there were uh, points of views within that. And that was a big critical part of the film. I, you know, I always say that the film doesn't really work as a, like the thing that most propels the narrative is the ability to shift points of views consistently. So you'll be, experiencing the same moment, but you, the camera will shift from the POV of Korean merchants to local government, to police officials, to residents of South LA, even though you're experiencing maybe the exact same scene. And that I think for us was in a, a great way to tell the story, but it's also, um, I think it allows for the audience to recognize that, uh, that it's, it, the inexperienced, like how people are reacting to the circumstances is a big part of what the experience of the film is, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Right. And, and finally, let me ask both of you, Daniel, start with you in looking at all this footage and, and viewing it and, and 
coming away with impressions. What surprised you the most that was revealed to you by all this footage? Hmm. That's a good question. You know, I, I, I constantly found myself um, um, struggling with the kind of inherent contradictions of my emotions while watching um, this. And I think that was something that, you know, we talked about a, a, a kind of rhetorical question that the film is asking is what are we capable of as human beings? And I think that extends from, you know, soon Jadu shooting a 15 year old girl in the back of the head to a judge that lets her off to the men who beat uh, Reginald Denny uh, at Florence and Normandy, you know, and, and to, for me, it was shocking to feel how my, my empathy and my sympathy would constantly be shifting. Um, and, you know, that was a, a struggle. Um, emotionally, it's a struggle to feel that I can, I can empathize and feel the, I can never probably fully understand it, but I can empathize and, and, and I think in some ways feel the, the anger and rage that was happening among some of the people at Florence and Normandy, but I can't, can never condone random violence. And, um, and so, yeah, I think for me, it just, as most things, when we do it, it further complicates issues for me and, and, and further, but yet at the same time, further um, defines to me how nuanced mm. our history and our world is um, and, and that there are no easy answers and, 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 and our filmmaking, I think we try to, um, to, to lean into that, you know, and, and not try to deliver easy answers. This is tough. This is very difficult, but it's, it, it's our story as American people. And I think it's something we need to grapple with. And in that way, I think that would be my, what I took away with from it. And TJ, same question to you. Yeah, uh, it's a tough one. I think the thing that surprised me the most is um, is honestly the experience uh, is the experience of making the film while while being an active participant in in kind of uh, today's being conscious of what's going on today, mm -hmm. uh, societally speaking. So. The, I think the thing that surprised me the most was to be able to read the news in the morning and then go make this film and then finding basically very similar um, experiences, stories, severe degrees of injustice, um, and the narratives being um, just so close even another 25, 27 years later. So I think the, um, I think the hardest thing for me is it's – I – in after making the film, it's become that much harder for me to answer the question when someone asks, you think things have gotten better. I think before making the film, I think you could say undoubtedly yes, but there are still lots of things to work on. Now, after, after the experience of making the film, I, I honestly can't, I don't know. I can't answer that question. I think it's naive to say that things haven't gotten any better. I also think it's naive to think that they, um, that they have. Um, and that is, uh, I think after, as a result of doing a deep dive uh, on this film and and looking at the just the, such there's such a consistent level of parallels in terms of the experience of disenfranchised communities and what they go through as it relates to their relationship with law enforcement. T.J. Martin, Daniel Lindsay, 
their documentary feature film, L.A. 92, will be screening here at the Napa Valley Film Festival, including a very special screening that will be happening at the Lincoln Theater on Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Daniel, TJ, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com.